Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Cause I'm just a teenage dirtbag, baby. Yeah, I'm just a teenage dirtbag, baby. Listen to Iron Maiden, baby, with me. Ooh. Hello! This is the Relunchables Podcast. I'm Jordan Holzer, proudly part of the Believe Podcast Network. And each episode will be covering 90s, 2000s, film, TV, and pop culture. I am not alone. Each episode, I'll be having on special guests to help me relive my childhood. Thank you to Weedus for the intro music. I know we've strayed away from doing the movie recaps, but next week, we'll be covering one of my favorite films as a kid. This is the first one we are doing that is not technically a Disney Channel original movie. It was actually part of ABC's wonderful world of Disney. I am talking about... My Date with the President's Daughter. I'm sure some of my listeners right now can hear that catchy music from the movie, My Date with the President's Daughter, oh yeah. We'll be joined by one of the stars of the film, Elizabeth Arnois, who played the President's Daughter herself, Hallie Richmond. Stay tuned for that next week. This week, we are joined by the creator of Braceface, Melissa Clark. Braceface ran for three seasons from 2001 to 2004 and told the story of Sharon Spitz, a middle school student navigating life with these electrically charged braces that got her in all sorts of embarrassing situations. It originally ran on Teletoon Canada and Fox Family Channel in the U.S. before reruns started to air on Disney Channel and ABC Family, which is, I think, where I caught it. Not sure people know that Sharon was voiced by Alicia Silverstone from Clueless, and Sharon's brother Josh was voiced by Michael Sarah, who, of course, got his start right at the same time on Arrested Development and later starred in films such as Superbad. So let's get into my interview with the creator of Braceface, Melissa Clark, but not before we play the Braceface intro music. Something tells me I've been dreaming of someone who was never real. It seems I've changed a thousand ways. I wish I looked the way I feel. Break me. My life gets complicated. Boyfriend. Don't want to talk about it. Teenage. I'll work it out in the Thank you so much for doing this, Melissa. I appreciate it. Sure. I'm, I'm in the podcast world now. So, you know, you got to help, help a fellow <laughs> podcaster out. <laughs> I appreciate it. And I want to uh, get to the podcast that you're doing. But uh, first, I want to talk about Braceface, which is yeah. coming up on almost 20 years, which is crazy. Yeah, that's right. I, I was hoping that you weren't going to ask me any trick questions because it's been 20 years. I don't know if I remember much. <laughs> I know. I was thinking of doing this whole like trivia section, but I'm like, you know what? It's been so long. I don't want to put you through that. <laughs> Maybe uh, so, off camera. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I want to go further back. And where did you grow up as a kid? Are you from LA? 
I am. I'm from LA. Um, I grew up in LA. My dad's a writer. Both my parents are from Canada. And my dad moved out to LA with a TV show back in the 60s, I think. And, oh, wow. and I was born here and raised here. And But I feel like Canada is my second home. <laughs> was your dad a writer himself? Yes, he's a writer. Um, I believe he moved out to LA with the Smothers Brothers hmm. uh, TV show. I could be wrong. But yeah, he was a big TV writer in the 60s, 70s, 80s. So growing up for you, was it something that you always wanted to kind of get into the family business or do you want to kind of do your own thing? What inspired you to become a writer ultimately? Yeah, definitely him. Um, always wanted to be a writer, didn't know what direction, was a big reader. So was always into novels and short stories and was doing that as a kid. And then it sort of bloomed into more more things. But yeah, I would, he, he had a big, um, like, a, I guess they were called partner desks, a writing desk uh, with, you know, one on a chair on one side, chair on, or a space on the other side and this giant desk. And I would sit across from him, you know, as he was working and just try to figure out what he was doing and how I could do it. <laughs> were you a big consumer of, you know, TV and film as a kid? Were you kind of just watching everything, whether it be late night or going to the movies or no? Not really. I was more of a reader. Um, and it's funny, my friends make fun of me because I did grow up in LA and I kind of yeah. did grow up in the entertainment industry. And I don't know, like they, <laughs> they all bond over certain TV shows. And yeah, I've heard of them, but I did not grow up like consuming media that way. I, I wasn't in a corner, you know, reading a book, shaking or anything. <laughs> I did go to movies and of course I watch TV, but I don't seem to have the vocabulary that people think I have for having grown up here. So did you go to film school? Where did you, where'd you ultimately end up going to college? I, well, kind of. I went to Emerson College okay, yeah. in Boston and uh, went into a writing program there and I was a psychology minor. And then I went on to grad school at um, UC Davis in an MFA program as well. So it was like short stories was it. It was all about short stories back in the day. <laughs> And judging from your IMDb, it seems like you got really into children's programming and like the children's TV space, yeah. working on Roly Poly Oli, which was another show that I kind of grew up on as a kid oh, watching. Yeah. And I'm curious, what attracted you to that space? Did you just see an opportunity there? What kind of drew you into that uh, area of the industry? That's a good question. Um, I thought at the time that it was just opportunity and I just sort of dumb lucked into it. But then when I look back, I realize how influenced I was by like the shows that when I was little, little Sesame Street, Mr. Rogers, uh, free to be you and me, the kids space was, we all sort of experienced the kids space, but I feel like I took it forward. <laughs> and I, I think it was very a deep experience for me to be in that world of, children's entertainment as a kid. And I think I carried it silently <laughs> until it sort of happened. And I started exploring it in writing. So how did you get that start writing on Roly Poly Oli? Um, well, my start was on Sweet Valley High, actually. Well, actually, even before that, my start was on Silver Spoons, the TV show. And this is a totally nepotism story where my dad had been working on that show. I was in college. Um, and there was a free script, there was a script available for a freelance writer, and I got the opportunity to write that episode. 
Um, and I was maybe a sophomore in college. Wow. And there was talk of maybe leaving college and going down that route, more sitcom route. Um, and I did not end up doing that. But so that was my first script, produced script. And then, uh, then I stayed in college, went to graduate school. And then when I finally moved back to LA, um, a friend of mine was, had been writing, a friend from college had gotten a job on Sweet Valley High and he was leaving to go to another job. And he asked, and I, I wasn't even living here. I was living in um, the Bay Area. And he said, would you be interested in me putting your name into the mix? And um, I, I was sort of like, well, it's so many steps from San Francisco to writing on Sweet Valley High, but I did kind of want to move back. And anyway, he put my name into the mix. I ended up getting the interview and I ended up getting the job. So I wow. moved back to LA to write for Sweet Valley High. I did not grow up on those books. I did not <laughs> read them. I knew a lot of people who did, who had, so I had to like, you know, I think I came on at the, like one of the last seasons. So I had to watch all the old ones and read, read some books and get into that space. And gotcha. then um, from there, again, timeline is, is <laughs> iffy, but um, I think I had pitched to, uh, Nelvana, the company that produced uh, Braceface, and then it took so long for Braceface to happen that I think in the interim they offered me to write freelance for Roly Polioli. I think that's how it happened, and um, I, I wasn't in a room for that. It was um, I would get handed sort of the premise and I would have to write it, but I somehow I had a real feel for the show, like. I remember the showrunner saying like, I can work so easily with your, what you do with the scripts. And I ended up writing, I think over 20 or 25 of them. And they were short. They were like, I don't know if you remember, they were, I think there were three per half an hour. Yeah. So the scripts were maybe 10 minutes and it just got, I got into the rhythm of it. And I think at one point I was writing Roly Polioli and Brace Face um, at the same time, maybe for like a week. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Is it challenging writing for different ages like that? And is it kind of, I don't know, for, as a writer, do you think it kind of enables you to be like, okay, I'm working within these confines of a different age group and, you know, just kind of staying within the rules and, or is it tough to get yourself in that position and kind of being like, okay, I'm looking at it through a kid's eyes. What does a kid want right. to say? Is it difficult? Well, Roly, Roly Polioli was so special, right? It, it was, it was kids, but it was also really hip and, yeah. um, it had like an adult sensibility to it. And so I think just a good writing is good writing and a good story is a good story, no matter what the, the medium. So I never felt like I had to turn into an eight year old to be able to write, to write it. You know, I'm certainly not going to pepper scripts with profanities or anything, <laughs> but it, no, it didn't seem that challenging. Maybe for someone else it might've been, but for, for me, it was just, telling a good story at any age is sort of the same thing. Yeah, no, and I, like I said, I grew up on that show. I was, I think eight years old, right when oh, that show okay. came out. So I was, oh, wow. yeah, I was born in 92. And I think that came out around, well, maybe I was even younger than that. Maybe I was like six years old when that show came out, but okay. it was like perfect timing for me and my sister watching that show. Right. And I kind of want to go back into what you said about pitching Braceface. What was the inspiration for that show? Was that a passion project of yours for years that you've been working on? 
No, I had had a meeting at Nelvana. They were looking for projects. They were actually looking to go out of the um, animated space. They were looking for live action. And I actually pitched Braceface as a live action show first. And then, you know, all they'd ever done is animation. So it, it was all a little interesting that they were trying to do that. And lo and behold, they didn't end up doing that. It ended up being animation. But I, I, so they said they were looking for projects. I sort of brainstormed things that happened at that age to me. One of the things was that I had had braces way longer than any friend I had ever had in my life because my orthodontist went bankrupt in the middle of treatment. And when the new one came, he said the idiot had been doing it all wrong and he had to start from scratch. So I think I had my braces from seventh to 12th grade. Oh my God. All through junior high, high school. <laughs> and so I was like braces. I mean, that was like what on the list of, I don't know, 15, 20 ideas that was at the top. And, that's amazing. Um, that's the one that they warmed to. I don't know how much you remember about that pitch, but how much of the story did you have outlined? Did you have, you know, that Sharon has these kind of, you know, supernatural abilities that her braces kind yeah. of, you know, electrically charged? You know, how much yeah. of the script or story was fleshed out in that original pitch? Um, well, another weird thing is they wanted a boy character. They were looking for boy characters along with live action. And then by the time it, it all switched back to animation and a girl character, which I was grateful for since I'm a girl. And um, yes, the pitch was, um, I, I think every pitch that I pitched sort of was a real idea with a twist. And, mm-hmm. and, and that's been a theme of a lot of my writing throughout since then. And so, yeah, it was braces with like, you know, a magical power somehow. Um, not necessarily a superhero, but just stuff that could maybe represent puberty in that way. And so, yes, that was definitely part of the pitch initially. I do think it was a boy originally, and I don't remember what we named him, but then he morphed <laughs> to she, <laughs> to Sharon. You definitely took one of my questions because I was going to ask him, like, this seems very easily could be a superhero TV show and yeah. you know, kind of like all these comic books. But you know what? I'm kind of glad it wasn't because I think it was better yeah. just as a standalone, you know, teenage drama going through middle school and then high school. Right. Very angsty. Yeah. Right. And I, I definitely, we tried to make the braces be very symbolic of embarrassing, you know, uh, the best thing you can equate it to is puberty. Yeah. Public puberty. Because <laughs> you can't control it, right? Yeah. Right. And she didn't know, right. And and truthfully, every almost everything I've written since then has that same hmm. element of, I don't know, embarrassing puberty <laughs> in a weird way. It kind of reminded me of the Spider-Man series because Peter Parker, for me, I love the high school scenes the most as much as him going out and fighting crime, but him in the high school as a nerdy teenager, just trying to, you know, get through right. life. You know, people don't know who he get is. That's my favorite part. So I yeah, think that yeah. really translated well to what you were doing with Braceface. Oh, cool. I'm curious, did the name Braceface, did you know that off the top? And I, I just love the name because I think it's yeah. an hour away from bullies who would probably use that. And right. It was kind of as an insult. Right. Yes. Yes, it was. That was the original title. Um, I think originally I had it as two words, race, face, and they made it one word. And I was I'm still very confused as to why, but whatever. It worked. <laughs> I think the show was so ahead of its time. And like another Canadian show, Degrassi, because I think it really oh, tackled, sure. you know, 
kids' issues, going through puberty, you know, yes. dealing with parents, dealing with friends, flirting, even discovering a porn website accidentally. You know, it kind of <laughs> really tackled everything. I'm curious, did you yeah. ever get notes from the network or from whoever saying, you know what, maybe this is going a little too far? We did an episode, the first thing I thought of when you were starting to say this was where the character got her period. Um, and that what I was even sort of like in the room, it came up and everybody was, and I was like, wait, are we sure? Like, are we sure? And then we were sure. And then came a backlash of letters, which, but the letters were so interesting saying, oh, I was watching this with my daughter who's maybe nine. And now she, she's asking all these questions. <laughs> like it was a bad thing. <laughs> But, you know, it's a, it's a taboo, embarrassing, especially back then. Like, I think now it would be more blasé. Um, but in 2000, it got, they were like, please hold back on, like, the body issues stuff. Especially if you watch a show like Big Mouth now on Netflix that kind of goes really off the rails right. and dives all the way into puberty and what kids are going through. Like, you know, right. Brace Face seems so PG. But at the time, yeah, you're right, so it was breaking yeah. ground. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and you know, it's funny. I got a call from the Washington Post maybe five years ago for an interview because apparently we had one of the first, you probably know this, we had one of the first gay characters. Yeah. And I was like, oh, God, who was it? Who I can't even remember. <laughs> and they left a message on my voicemail. And I was like, oh, God. I mean, we wrote, you know, almost, I can't remember now, 75, 80 episodes. Yeah. And then I was like, Oh, I remember. I remember it all, how it all came together and how it played out. And, um, and but I thought, oh, okay. I, I didn't know that was so bold. <laughs> you were so today. ahead of your time. You don't even, you I wouldn't know. even know it. Yeah. You never do when you are. <laughs> That's absolutely right. And I have to ask you, how involved were you in the casting process? Because I think a lot of people forget, you know, Sharon Spitz was voiced by Alicia Silverstone, who yes. was huge at the time coming off of clueless yeah and you got michael sarah right before arrested development yes, right at the same time yeah. yeah how involved I was were you not, i mean i was involved but they were on it nelvana sort of we brainstormed sort of names for sharon and um one of the names i believe it was uh who's the americans carrie um carrie russell carrie russell and also um <laughs> who's homecoming or homeland is um oh claire Danes. Danes. i believe we went out to them and they both passed wow. but i remember thinking like oh their voices are so like mature and low and but i didn't it was my first time being involved with that sort of thing but then when they went out to alicia and then I would like listen to anything Alicia had been on and just close my eyes. And I was like, yes, that's such a great voice. She has like a great little kind of squeaky. Um, so, she, so I, they, she expressed interest and they're like, you have to go out with her. You have to, you know, they're all in Canada. I was here. And they said, you have to go meet her and you have to like <laughs> get her on board. I was like, I don't know her. Like <laughs> I was like a little intimidated because of clueless and, and we went, I can't remember where we met, but we met for lunch and she was just adorable and so sweet and passionate. And she was very interested in making it um, her vegan platform or her, you know, she's very animal rights. And, and um, she, was, she was just so excited about it. And, and then she came on, she also left early. I don't know yeah. if you know that. Only they lasted replaced, two seasons, yeah. right? Yeah. 
Yeah, I guess it was actually, I don't know, I can't even remember what happened, but they found a, they found a voice alike who was, who was good as well. I never met her, but <laughs> yeah, no, it was fun with Alicia. She was, she was great. And we would end up, you know, I didn't know her that well, but we would end up going to award ceremonies together and <laughs> accepting these awards on stage. And I was like, I'm still here with Cher. It's so bizarre. <laughs> and she served as a producer on the show, I believe. Yeah. yeah, she had a voice on the show for sure, especially for her platform. Oh, yeah. And I think she nailed just the the voice, as you said, just with the braces, too. You kind of got that lispy kind of yeah. voice that you would have with braces, which was kind of incredible. Yeah. Hold on, Melissa. Give me a minute to tell my listeners about Simply Safe Home Security. What's the number one sign of a bad home security system? A home security system that's so complicated you never use it. That's exactly the type of system Simply Safe has spent a decade fighting against. Who knows what shenanigans Sharon and her braces get into and short circuits the house and causes electrical fires. It's important to have reliable home security. Simply Safe was designed to be easy to use while protecting your whole home 24/7. Order online, open the box, place the sensors, plug it in, and your home is protected around the clock. It's that simple. My listeners, go head to simplysafe.com/team and get free shipping and a 60-day money-back guarantee. That's simplysafe.com/team. It feels good to fear less. And now, back to the show. Yeah, and she she was she came in very. She was sort of full of sunshine and pa- she had passion, and I, I really appreciated that. And then Michael Sarah, he had been. I think he was. You you know more than I do, probably. I believe he was in Roly Polioli as yeah, well. Yeah. And Nelvana, he's Canadian, and he was sort of a darling of um, Nelvana. So they just sort of tossed him on to their shows and he I mean he was so good as a I must have known him when he was 10 or younger and I just he was so good and so funny and so and I'm so excited for I haven't spoken to him in 20 years I don't even know if I spoke to him that much 20 years ago (laughs) but I just remember the kid I remember him as a kid but it's thrilling to watch his trajectory it must be an interesting dynamic doing an animation, you know, series because, you know, you may write the script or you have a writer on your team write the script and you're kind of producing it, but then you just have these actors kind of go into a booth and read it. It's kind of tough to really, is there some sense of collaboration amongst the actors and the creative side? Um, that's a good question. We were very separate. I remember I live in LA, but it was all done in Toronto. And so I would fly to Toronto maybe twice or three times a year. And we would have the writing room in Toronto, you know, for a couple of weeks. And then we'd all split up and start getting the script. So I was not often around when they were recording. Um, maybe once or twice I happened to be in Toronto when they were recording. And of course, ended up myself. I was like, can I be in the booth? <laughs> so I did a voice on one episode or one or two episodes. And um, um, I wouldn't say it was collaborative that way with the actors and the writers per se. It felt like the actors really brought the writing to life. Yeah. And I'm sure they added stuff, obviously, with that maybe we didn't even know about. <laughs> but it always seemed to work out. I thought it was an amazing cast. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Over the three-year run of the show, did you have a favorite storyline? I know I'm taking you back a long time. Did you have a favorite mm-hmm. memory or storyline that you wrote for the show? You know, one of the I just found the script, and I, I didn't write all the episodes. I, I probably wrote 10, maybe 15 of them. Um, and one of the favorite ones that I wrote was called The Election. 
and it was about um, Sharon running for probably president of the school. And it's funny, again, that was like 1999 or maybe 2000 and politics, I wasn't even that interested in it or, but it sort of became a metaphor. And, and now I find myself in that uh, territory again. And I just, so to me, I feel like, oh, that was kind of the beginning of when I became interested in in politics and on a micro level, but all the micros tend to become macro eventually. Yeah. So you do three seasons of the show and does it not get renewed for a fourth season? Is it just time to move on? What happened? Um, so I believe, I thought it was more of that it went five seasons, but I think what they did was they, like one season would have been two parts type thing. And I quit. Um, I did not have anything to do with the last season or the second half of the last season because I started writing a novel and um, I felt that I had told 50 stories that I was really proud of that, and I felt tapped a little bit, like tapped out of the tween girl space. <laughs> and, and I was trying to do, um, by that time I was like, I think I want to do live action stuff. And I kept, I had all these meetings, but I kept getting pigeonholed in the kid world. And I was like, I think I have to write myself out of the kid world. So I wrote uh, my first novel, which was kind of all about sex because, or not <laughs> literally, but it had a sort of edgy plot. And then when that got published, I was like, Oh, wait a minute. I like, I like the novel world now. <laughs> so I ended up leaving Brave Space to start writing novels and teaching ended up writing and teaching for the next long time, for the next 10 years, maybe. Did you ever have that itch to go back to television or film or try your hand at writing screenplays or was just being an author and kind of writing on your own schedule and being your own boss in a sense, kind of what you just gravitated to? Yeah. It, it, during that time I did have meetings and there were potential things and uh, you know, a lot of it got, which is always like that, especially in Hollywood, you know, there's all maybe dangling carrots and you're like, maybe I'll get this. But I always had the books and the teaching to fall back on. So it wasn't as high stakes. So when th things didn't come through, I wasn't devastated. I was disappointed, but maybe not devastated. My book, a few of the books got optioned. They haven't gotten made yet, but stuff was like chugging along. And, and then, um, yeah, and uh, well, I just taught for so long and I was in traveling around the country teaching writing and going to book festivals and writing conferences and that was really satisfying and fun. And then then podcasts were born yeah. and <laughs> or were reborn, I should say. It's true. <laughs> this this medium has been around for a while and a crazy series of events happened where um, a friend of mine's husband uh, ended up being part of Gen Z Media, who does kids' uh, podcasts. Yeah. And he was coming to LA, and my friend said, you guys should go out for dinner. Like, you're both... And I knew him, but I hadn't seen them in such a long time. And there was a novel that I had been working on that I just couldn't get right. I couldn't finish it. And you didn't even ask this, but I'm just I'm jumping ahead. <laughs> He, um, they had produced something called um, The Unexplainable Dis Disappearance of Mars Patel, 
which was a kid's podcast. And I was like, I better listen to it before he gets here. And I listened to it and I was blown away. I was really impressed. And, and it, it like ignited every instinct to work in the kids world again. And I got, I got really excited by it. And so at dinner, I, you know, heard how it all happened and what they were doing. And then I pitched him this book that I couldn't finish as sort of uh, the girl version of his podcast. And, and he bought it and then I quit teaching <laughs> and now I'm back in the kids world, audio in the audio world now. I love podcasts personally. And you're right. They've been around for probably 10 years now and probably only really gained traction in the last couple of years but it's provided a whole new medium for writers to write scripted podcasts and really oh, yeah. get, you know, some great act, you know, a lot of actors do this on the side too, and just get additional. Yeah. Work. Uh, I'd argue that they've been around since the late 1800s with radio really? shows. That's um, true. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the same thing. It's just packaged differently and it's a new concept to younger people and you can do it at home. You look like you're at home with your microphone yeah. and, <laughs> oh, yeah. and so it makes it so accessible. A hundred percent. You watch it on your schedule when you're doing other things. and Right. You don't even watch it. You listen. Exactly. Yeah. I don't even watch linear cable anymore. I get everything I need from a podcast, whether it be news, sports, oh, interesting. scripted series. It's kind of been my way to get all information I need. Yeah. And it's without the hysteria of the visual. Like that was one other thing about Braceface. When it came out, it was um, whatever it was, early 2000s, late 1999. The shows, you'll know more than me, but I just, it was SpongeBob maybe, it was, it was cartoons that were so, they were great, but they were like loud and assaulting and, and I really wanted Braceface to be like a Judy Bloom book. Like I wanted it to be a simpler, less aggressive form of entertainment. And, um, and I think it was, and, and I think it stands out for having been that at that time as well. I agree. Like the grassy, like some of these Disney Channel original movies. This is kind of getting to my right. next question was, you know, I like to think I grew up during the best time, the sort of golden age of children's mm. programming. And I don't know if every, mm -hmm. you know, generation feels that way, but I really do yeah. have an affinity for that, you know, late 90s, early 2000s time that was being produced on, you know, to Nick and Disney Channel and Nickelodeon. Right. Did you get a sense of that? Would you agree with that? Or do you think it just kind of, it just changes with, you know, times and generations and, you know, I know kids today are not really consuming media as, as I did, right? They're on right. TikTok, they're on YouTube. Right. So I'm just curious, you know, what do you think of that time frame in terms of what was being produced? Yeah, I agree. Um, but I would argue that I grew up in the golden day, age of television <laughs> with, with Sesame Street, the beginning of Sesame Street and all those shows. But yeah, I think at the time you're talking about, oh yeah, it was a thriving um I mean, I remember I would go to meetups before they were called meetups of like a, a lot of people working in the animation industry and kid writers. And um, it, it it definitely felt very full and so many choices. And it was like a legit, it was a legit like media choice for, they had their kids had their own sort of landscape. Whereas before that, maybe you, aside from Sesame Street and those shows, you would sort of watch as a family a sitcom or something. Um, yeah, I think I think you're right. And I'm I'm blanking on one other show around that time, but <laughs> yes, I do remember there were a lot. <laughs>
have you seen a resurgence for Braceface? Have people come up to you? Have people, you know, been reaching out to you over email or, you know, have you seen a resurgence yeah, for that? Because it's, it's all over YouTube. You can watch pretty much every right. episode. Well, please, that doesn't make me so happy, but um, <laughs> whatever. I, as a, as a professor, I was teaching college and the students were probably around your age and they, I wouldn't bring it up that I did it necessarily. I, I did teach a lot of writing classes, but if they Googled me or if they went onto the school's website and I had a sort of CV up there, they would get cuckoo. They would get like super shy and they, you know, and they'd somehow be able to communicate that they grew up on it. And it, it made me awkward too, because I was like, you know, you sit in a writer's room and you don't get to interact and you win awards and stuff and you know it's being seen and received well. But meeting the kids who are now 19, 20, 21, who watched it when they were seven, eight, nine, was really touching and powerful. And I'll tell you, it was supposed to come back. Um, really? For maybe four or five years ago, I was in touch with Nelvana over the reboot because every, uh, everything else has come back. Why yeah. wouldn't it come back? And I actually pitched them the 20 year later version of what it would be. And I don't even know if this is kosher to be saying, but <laughs> I was told that that they were going to pitch it to the people that be at Nelvana. And, um, and then they called back and said, we're going to bring you on to write uh, the pilot and three episodes business affairs. It's going to call you. And I was like, Oh my God, it's going, it's going. <laughs> and never heard from them again. Uh, and I was like, well, did I misunderstand something? When you said business affairs was going to call me to talk about the, like no one ever, they never came out and said like, oh, sorry, X, Y, Z happened. Yeah. They, they just let They just it. ghosted you. They ghosted, I got ghosted for my own show. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Well, I'm hoping with the reach of this podcast, you know, somebody over there will hear this and be like, oh, wow. <laughs> maybe it got lost in the mail maybe that offer just got lost i don't know maybe hopefully if we find it sometime you know yeah maybe i mean the idea still holds but yeah. um now i'm busy then i could have done it <laughs> now you're busy with podcasting yeah so melissa i can't thank you enough for your time i just wanted to end on five rapid fire questions if you're ready uh, -uh. okay <laughs> this is where the <laughs> This is where the trivia comes in, okay? Uh, okay. Uh, TV shows you're currently binging right now? What am I currently binging? Yeah. Um, TV shows or movie? Has to be either. TV. Could be TV. Could be movie. I just watched Palm Springs on Hulu. Oh, what'd you think? And I freaking loved it. I loved it. I loved every it second. So good. Of it. I thought it was so fresh and funny and deep, and I loved. I loved it. Such Andy a great Sanford. take. Oh yeah, yeah. Andy Samberg's amazing. Thing. Such a great take on the Groundhog Day theme, and yeah. it was just brilliantly done. An hour and a half, it flew by. I it know. Was so well done. I loved it. I watched it two nights ago, maybe. Um, but TV shows again. I'm still more of a reader than a TV. And of course, I have Netflix and Hulu and all that. But um, can't even tell you. That's the last thing I watched <laughs> for sure. Uh, favorite restaurant in LA. <laughs> favorite restaurant. In LA. Remember when we had restaurants? And we I know. I know. <laughs> Assuming they come back. Yeah, assuming they come back. I love, um, there are two that I love. One is, happens to be my name, um, Melise, it's called. It's a French restaurant. Um, and AOC, I love. On AOC is great, yeah. And I miss them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we all do. Uh, 
as a professor and you know a teacher of writing, what is one piece of advice you give to someone who maybe has an idea in their head that just just putting pen to paper sometimes or just you know starting to type is the hardest hurdle to get through as a writer just that you know just ability to put yourself out there and i guess not judge yourself right just be able to just right put your idea on paper and just kind of just get it out and see what you have what what is some piece of advice you would give to someone who's struggling through that process i would say i always and this isn't my i didn't name this this is sort of a known thing in the writing world i always call that first draft the vomit draft hmm. And so I say just vomit whatever you need to out. Sorry, it's so graphic. But <laughs> and then the later, later, later drafts are where you get to rearrange it, make it look and smell beautiful. Right now, everyone, the mo Stephen King, Margaret Atwood, they all have vomit drafts too. And if they didn't, if they couldn't hurdle that, they we wouldn't get them. So you you just need to know that everybody goes through that self-doubt and and just vomited it out it's as it's as worthy as everyone that's great advice yeah i think a lot of people just think that they need to be you know charles dickens on the first attempt they need to be some you know great you know great writer and you have to kind of give permission to yourself to suck and just be like you know what yeah i can't be my own worst enemy and i just kind of kind of power through this exactly and get it out of you get it out yes. it's an idea that that needs to come out uh next question were you a fan of any other, you know, kids programming, any other kids show at the time that maybe you were jealous of or just really admired from afar that you're like, I really love what they're doing over there? That's a good question. Um, there was a movie oh, and I am going to forget what it's called. Wait, I'm remembering. Is it maybe called a doll dollhouse dolls house early nineties. Um, it, it was not a television show. It was a feature movie and it was a famous director. Um, and I was so jealous. I wished I had written it. I'm uh, sure one of my listeners is like just screaming the name I out right know. now. You know, it's just uh... That's what I normally do. I'm like you idiot. It's right there. <laughs> How did you not know this? So it's not a doll's house. It's something in that. It's in that <laughs> phrase somehow. I'm going to call you back and tell you. I, I was palpably jealous of that movie. Like I had wished so badly that I had written it. <laughs> uh, last question, you know, we talked about a potential reboot of Brace Face and unfortunately, you know, what happened with Business and Legal Affairs on that one. But if you did see it come back, what would you want to see from it? Would you want to see a, a live action movie, just a live action TV show, animated movie, animated TV show? What would you be, if you could have your choice, what would you oh, like to see? I think I would want it to retain the animation because I think, with animation, obviously you can do anything. And so with the new technologies that are out now, you could just have so much fun with it. Um, and yes, CG, CGI and all that is amazing as well. But I think the integrity of that show sort of is in the animation. There's something really, uh, that would be important, I think, to me to keep it. I mean, if someone wanted to make it a live action movie, I'm not going to argue, but <laughs> as a TV show, it would feel really special to bring it back as an animated show. I think I speak for all my listeners. They want to see a brace face return uh, in some form, however it may be. Right to Nelvana. They're still a company. They're in Toronto. Um, <laughs> tell them I, I'm still open to it. And yes. <laughs> Melissa, thank you so much for coming on the Relaunchables podcast. I really appreciate it. Sure. Thank you. 
I would like to thank my guest, Melissa Clark, for coming on the podcast. Next week, we'll be covering the 1998 classic, My Date with the President's Daughter. You can subscribe to the Relunchables podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave us a rating or review, five stars only. Until next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.